0: Let you down But I won't give in now
1: All right, that was Jimmy Eat World with the world you love here on 91 7 the Edge, WSUW Whitewater. And before we begin, ladies and gentlemen, I would like to remind you that 91 7 the Edge and UWWTV are bringing you are bringing you live on the Edge. A brand new series where we take the local up-and-coming bands in the area and we put them on television and the radio for your enjoyment. And you can be a part of the experience. Just tune in at 8 p.m. every other Thursday for in-studio performances and interviews. And with all of that out of the way, it's time for Comics Corner I am your host, Jason, Captain Comics here, coming to you today with a, a bit more of a sobering experience, if you will. Today I'm going to talk about a book that, in many people's opinions, is not necessarily early what you'd expect from the DC universe, being the universe of green Martian man who can shapeshift, a man who can bend steel and use x-ray vision rings rings powered by willpower and a man who thinks that addressing like a bat will scare the criminal mind into submission but yeah this is one of those books that looking back on it can really tell a lot about the dc universe particularly the fact that well the dc universe got a lot darker after this book was finished And, again, this is actually something really, really really sad when you think about it. Because, well, the DC Universe used to be very silly. Granted, it actually had its moment. It's had its moments of very, very serious things. But still, it doesn't really... But still, it does a lot of things different. It basically... It basically tries to tell the story of the story prior to Crisis on Infinite Earths in many ways, but it's not necessarily a retcon in that to that degree. It's more or less, or less, just a retcon in the setting and the setup because, well. There are things like that aren't necessarily as expected, such as Batman being a member of the Justice League and et cetera, et cetera. Now, the problems, I think, with Identity Crisis are some of maybe substance, really, because... And also, there are some plot holes. There are quite a few plot holes, and I dare say some of them are actually very hard to overlook... But all things considered, I've read through Identity Crisis, and I will say this: I don't hate it, and I can understand what the author Brian Mel or Brad Meltzer was trying to do. But I think it's one of those cases of Brad Meltzer taking his talents, that being mostly of writing best-selling thrillers like The Inner Circle and The Book of Fate, and trying to apply it to comic books. In fact, I dare say that's one of the other problems with comic books nowadays. This isn't a DC exclusive problem, but in many regards, the comic industry doesn't have as many new talents that come in and make things of themselves. That's not to say, granted, all the talent are old, that all the comic writers are old white men or anything, or anything racist or sexist like that. It's just that the talent that has been doing this for a long time in the, in terms of mainstream comics, there's very little room for new talent to get in if you don't count web comics. And it's unfortunate too, because in all things considered, there are people who do web comics that sometimes surpass that of actual, you know, DC or Marvel publicated comics. But no, DC and Marvel instead decides to recruit authors authors instead DC in particular this isn't the first time they've done it Brad Meltzer at least seems to care about the comics medium whereas I could argue that the other major author that I'm thinking of to actually do a comic book doesn't necessarily understand comics that is Judy Picoult now I'm not knocking Judy Picoult if you like her work as a novelist I you're fine to actually You're fine to like it. I just don't necessarily think that her work on Wonder Woman was transcendent or anything like that. And there's a whole bunch of other things I could say about, you know, getting the idea of authors of novels coming in to write comic books without, you know, prior knowledge or love for the comic book industry industry being bad for it. But I don't think I have to spell it out for you. I think it's safe to say that much like if you ask somebody to direct an episode of a TV show or a movie without any love or respect or even caring for the, what the script is supposed to be about, you're going to come out with, generally speaking, at best, a message and a, and a medium piece that ironically misses the point so hard that you might as well have made an unintentional genre piece for all intents purposes, or you're going to come out with something that's just completely disrespectful and gets people mad. This one's actually really kind of polarizing, though, mostly because as, as much as it was loved back in the day, I've heard people complain about it actually not being a being as good as it once was. I think the big thing for me is that there are plot holes. In in all honesty, I do think that there is a lot of good stuff to be to be had in Identity Crisis. In fact, I dare say it's one of those books that makes me realize how important 2004 was to the comic book industry in general with movies coming out at a more regular rate. It and comics themselves starting to pick up a new tone. However, like I said, there's still a lot to not necessarily care about from Identity Crisis as I'll explain. I think the big cru- the big thing that I first problem that I have is the simple fact that ident- the idea of crisis has been overused to the degree where now it means almost nothing in the DC universe. We've had Crisis on Infinite Earths, Infinite Crisis, Identity Crisis, Final Crisis, Supreme, Maxi, Ultra, Super Crisis. That's not a real book title, but seriously, at this rate, with the way they use Crisis, would you be surprised? I Basically, basically, I will sum up the premise. The idea is, is that it's is that it's a murder mystery plot. And in the, and in theory, it actually is one that actually does a lot of good things. It does keep you guessing. But at the same time, it doesn't necessarily, but at the same time, it doesn't necessarily portray the characters in the best light. And in many ways, it could be seen as a precursor to Civil War. The idea Marvel's Civil War comic. The idea that heroes have to fight each other and not the villains. That there's always somebody else waiting to stab them in the back first before they can actually fight some gigantic super robot villain. As far as character backstories, I'll only give you a couple. Mostly because they're the ones involved, most involved in the story and also some of the stuff I've actually ma- mentioned in passing with the countdown review with a countdown to final crisis reviews the the big name that you'll need to remember from this series is ralph and sue dimney the dimneys are a superhero per hero husband named ralph dimney aka the elongated man who basically is plastic man only serious if you've ever seen plastic man in comics you'll understand why i say that for everybody else, he's basically a super stretchy detective. That's the best way I can describe him. His wife is a non-powered or an entity in the DC universe, but Sue Dimney has b- became so beloved and such a comrade that she basically became accepted in the Justice League's inner circle. Something that very rarely is extended. In fact, the funny thing is, is within the Justice League books, They've actually made Sue Dibney an honorary member, something that not even Lois Lane has. That's right, the wife of the elongated man has something over Lois Lane, in terms of comic continuity. Basically, the two are a very happy couple, and they really just don't have too much concern in the world. In fact, the story basically centers around the idea that every year for her birthday, for Ralph's birthday, Sue Dibney throws together a mystery for Ralph to solve. However, each year, Ralph just kind of gets, you know, more and more in on the idea. So he pretends to be surprised and also just, you know, tries to see whether or not the mist, how deep the mystery truly goes and things like that. It's one of those kinds of relationships you don't see in comic books anymore. And by that I mean, you don't see it to see such a loving relationship that actually feels mutual, that mirrors real life in such a way that you kind of actually want to see this kind of go and pull through. The other major character that I feel I should comment on is, well, Ray Palmer and Gene Loring. Ironically enough, they too are a couple, but they are a couple on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. Ray Palmer is the Atom, the size-changing physicist who fights crime. And as I've mentioned before, this very comic made him retreat into Countdown to Final Crisis. Yes, this is the book that did it. And you're going to find out just what broke him, folks. And boy, is it depressing, let me tell you. You. And then there's Gene Loring. Gene Loring, much like Sue Dibney, is a random, is, is a civilian who, despite being prominently featured in the Atom books, uh, much in the same way that Sue Dibney was a prominent me- member of the Justice League books and any book featuring Ralph Dibney, Gene Loring doesn't necessarily have super, doesn't have superpowers. Worse. She basically is an attorney at law, and for once, in comic books, as well as I think life, you know, in fiction, because I really can't remember the last time I've heard a story like this, or like this, it turns out that Ra- that Sue, or that Gene Loring has divorced Ray Palmer. And ironically enough, it's not because of some cheating affair or anything. In fact, it's really just more or less than the two personalities didn't mesh and they were, you know, losing their spark, if you will. In fact, according to the comic, it's Gene Loring who asked for the divorce. Gene Loring, who ends up getting most of Ray Ray Palmer's patents only in some sort of serious way to some sort of joke, I guess, to sign them back to him well because ray palmer is a physicist after all and he made patents for the government so you know like you do but yeah those are the two main parties at stake i will go into more character stuff as we go on but yeah this is the story that pretty much start that pretty much started or did infinite crisis which spawned final crisis and but more 52 and countdown and well final crisis so yeah when this thing was released 12 years ago i don't think anybody could have imagined that it would have as much impact as it did but it did actually have a plenty of good impact as it did coming out of the gate it's a seven issue mini series and i will say one thing right off the bat the artwork is amazing rags morales did a really good job penciling this series And I must admit that I really, really like the artwork artwork done by colorist Alex St. Clair and the Inkle Michael Barr. In all honesty, I'm not really sure if I can say too much bad about the art. Especially when you consider the idea uh, that it's going back in time and back in time in several points and generally speaking it actually... Reflects that in the costumes. So the series opens up with Ralph Dimney, and Lorianne Lori Riley, aka, aka some character that I actually don't really know too much about. But then again, I admit that it that I shouldn't actually. ...actually be surprised... ...considering that I don't know... ...every single character in the DC Universe... ...so yeah... ...admittedly... admittedly. ...so yeah... ...they're sitting on a stakeout... ...to try and find out... ...what's inside a crate... ...part of the mystery... ...set up by... ...by Sue... ...by his wife Sue... ...wife Sue... ...while Ralph comments... ...about how he met his wife... ...and how they... ...how they basically... And about how things have gone down and everything, everything basically, basically, yeah, yeah. It's the kind of character building moment that you'd actually kind of interestingly expect from from a comic that isn't necessarily as serious as this, but it is serious. There's Superman. We then cut to Superman who gets a call on this JLA communicator communicator and basically this sets up a running plot of the first issue with many of the heroes in the dc universe all running to all running to various locations we then see nightwing aka dick grayson and starfire his former lover from the teen titans ends at, at his parents grave proving that the series is pretty much all about death death and angst a foreboding image of things to come, if you will. We then see Green Arrow and, and his son Connor training. And then we see, and then we see a couple of others. And then we see a couple of flashbacks basically highlighting what I already said about how Ralph and Sue met and how they actually got, and how they actually, you know, got, got together. And it's actually nice. Ralph even makes a nice little comment about how even hanging around Superman she still chose Ralph Dimney. And the fact and the fact remains that, well, oh, it's kind of a truly touching love story. The idea that yeah, Ralph Dimney is an ordinary a more ordinary guy than most heroes in the DC universe, but at the same time he's not exactly exactly, you know, low on the totem pole either there there he then explains how the mystery thing works basically basically how she sometimes set the heroes up to sent the heroes to dress up as in various character garbs in order to surprise ralph set up various mysteries that well you know never really get anybody hurt but at the same time definitely intrigue them intrigue them we then cut to a minor supervillain Bolt who's talking to the comput- the villainous computer ca- hacker calculator calculator who's also trying to find out what's in the box. Well, I can tell you what it's not. It's not chips ahoy cookies. keys for a free. Ray basically lets no also lets lets the readers in on a little secret that basically she Lorraine in on a secret that well, basically Basically, he's got a he's getting a magnifying glass for his birthday. Oh yeah, and his birthday isn't exactly right away, but right away, it's instead trying to catch him off off guard and surprise like seriously, seriously. Ralph also mentions the hint a very hintable thing and actually something that is kind of important to identity crisis as a whole. The idea that superheroes, generally speaking, have hid their identities, but Ralph, Dimney, and Sue have have actually revealed themselves to the public. And they've become public figures as a result. However, this isn't without precautions, as, as certain technology from Krypton and Thanagar and other things from Apocalypse have all been used to fortify their apartment. So it's not like anybody, any schmo with a gun can break in and assault any one of these members of the families of the Justice League. Which makes this mystery both interesting as well as heartbreaking when you realize just how far somebody had to go to get there. There. And then you realize that lies exactly... And then Ralph Dimney somehow realizes just just what's going on, and he gets a message realizing realizing that Sue is in trouble. And unfortunately, gently, Sue is, well, unfortunately dead and by the time Ralph arrives. Which actually is just really, really sad. Anytime a civilian dies in comics makes without powers it's just uh it's it's really kind of sad it's one thing when a hero dies because i know they technically can be brought back to life but uh, back to life but at the same time it doesn't, doesn't necessarily really make it any better so lorraine or should i say firehawk as her hero name would say basically demands to take demands him demands to take ralph home and he does go home only to find the sprinkler system activated his wife partially burned the magnifying glass the magnifying glass that she got for his birthday destroyed but the real surprise that sue actually really wanted to give ralph was a positive pregnancy test that's right not only was sue dibney murdered but also so was her unborn child it's really, really sad when you think about it. But it. And it also makes you just wonder who could have done this. We then cut to a very nice scene between Tim and Jack Drake. Hey, Tim Drake is the, thir- is the third or fourth Robin. I forget how many there were. He's also the rare exception to the rule that Robin does not, in fact, have to have dead parents in order to be Robin. Yeah, sure, he's only got his dad, but at least he's not completely angst-written. However, he has hit his own snatch of hard times here, as his dad now knows that he's Robin, and basically, you know, like a parent would, is basically worried that, you know, he him dressing up in colored tights isn't exactly a good thing, and fighting evil isn't exactly a good thing. We also then cut back to, we also cut to see Black Lightning and Katana, who have hung, who have essentially hung up their tight, hung up their tights since their days with the outsiders, and are trying to live their, and are trying to live their own life. Black Lightning, for reasons more or less suited to the fact that, well, his daughter, that his daughter recently, basically, is just become, you know, of age, which basically, basically means that he wanted to stop being a hero and start being a father. So, yeah. Uh, we then cut to Gene Loring and the Atom. Um, we basically then... Where we basically see Gene Loring signing the papers. Signing, signing divorce papers. Although, ironically enough, the idea... The idea behind this divorce settlement is to give back Ray Palmer half of his patents that Gene Loring won in their divorce settlement. So, you know, kudos there for at the very least her, her trying to, you know, not be completely vindictive about the divorce thing. Then again, she is a prominent lawyer. So, you know, she's not exactly hurting for money, but yeah, Gene Loring and Ralph Dimney then hear, then hear about Or, I should say, Ralph Dibney. Uh, Ray and, and, and Gene hear about the death and then, and basically decide to go, to go and see what's going on. We then cut to Green Arrow, who is our basically narrator throughout this entire series. And he's not a Daredevil level narrator or a Bat Miller, or a, a Bat Miller, a Frank Miller written Batman man who just is full of repetitiveness and you know blatant, blatant just boring phrases over and over again he basically explains that that clark that after clark kent died and then came back to life because well superman and comic books they started taking precautions in case anybody else decide anybody else died right on their watch anybody i might add Basically, we then get, we then get a very intense investigation scene. A Mr. Miracle, Miracle, the escape artist, scanning the ground. Owned. Owned. We've then got, we've then have, of course, Batman looking through everything. We then have the atom checking all the carpet fibers just to make sure that everything happens. The ray does spectrum analysis. This. Magnus working on metal, metallurgy, metallurgy, Metamorpho coming in to try and identify any other substances. an animal man trying to pick up any, any faint sense ain't sense that might be missed And basically the hero is saying that they're going to get justice for this. It's a very tearful and emotional scene, the funeral. Wonder Woman presiding over the funeral, only, with, with Ralph then deciding to say a few words, but he just can't hold it together. And then the heroes then split up and try, try to take out various groups. Oops. The Titans going after the New Brotherhood. The Old Justice League International going after Firefly and Scorch. The Outsiders going after Heatstroke. Oak oak the the martian manhunter and hunter and art and and the original green lantern arthur scott go after the mirror master stir the justice society taking on dr fox phosphorus blue beetle and booster gold t- old going after heat wave wave and and making sure that A- even robin and batman are still on the case well, on the case on the case And then, of course, the remaining members of the Justice League, including Hawkman, Zatanna, Black Canary, Green Arrow, In Arrow, the Atom, and, and the Atom all formed together to basically, basically form the final posse. See, along with Ralph Dibney. 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 And basically, basically, they all try to console Ralph. However, they know, Ralph has an idea of who who killed his wife, Dr. Light, Teen Titans villain. Well, yeah, he's a Teen Titans villain. Yeah, so basically, according to Ralph Dibny, he already knows who killed his wife and that everybody else is wasting their time going after other fire-based slash teleporting supervillains. So, um, yeah, that's kind of a bit of a stretch but unfortunately, it's not that much of a stretch for Ralph to, for Ralph, or, sorry, I can't speak right now, for Ralph Dibney to make such an assumption. In fact, it's probably one of the most disturbing parts about this book. But I'm going to, I need to give you guys a bit of a break before we get into the more truly depressing stuff as that was just issue one and issue two goes even further into a much darker and admittedly a much more unpleasant and depressing look at the DC Universe. Let's get you guys some music with some Iron and Wine, Singers, and the Endless Song here on 91.7 The Edge.
0: Tune in Wednesdays for Hip Hop Day. From old school to new school and even underground, artists like Kanye, Biggie, and Atmosphere. So, come on, come on! Join us Wednesdays for Hip Hop Hump Day, 91.7 WSUW. Till the sun, we're up all night to get some. we're up on night for good fun, we're up on night to get lucky, 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 we're up all night to get lucky. so terrifying summer is this faded as a long cicada call memories so bright I got it's just to recall regret the words I've written
1: That was Saint. Vincent with regret here on 91 seven the edge. Let's talk about identity crisis the second issue if we shall. We continue after the revelation of who of who Ralph Dibney thinks is the killer of Dr. Light by talking about or by see, cutting to Jean Loring and the atom with the Atom giving Jean Loring a crossbow as a gift from as a gift to her. Namely, it's a crossbow from Carter, aka Hawkman, because, well, you know, in case he ever needed to defend himself. And Gene actually looks, <clears throat> and Jean looks relatively scared and concerned, but it actually does, as actually, you know, feel very interesting. So, uh, you know, it's a genuine scene, if nothing else. else- Basically, then we figure out, we figure out just why, just why they, what they're trying to figure out is how to attack Dr. Light and basically who they, who they should be going at, who else they could be going after. Just then the Flash, aka Wally West, the West jumps in and along with Kyle Rayner, Kyle Rayner. Hawkman says that they basically were spying on them because, well, there seems to be something else to hide. Because, well, it's interesting. Interesting that they all wanted to take on Dr. Light, somebody who in many regards didn't really have any any potential connection to be Sue Dibney's killer, yet they jumped on it anyways. Anyways... Wally then brags, boasts that he'll potentially get Bruce or Clark involved and involved on their little side quest. And basically, they cave to tell the story of, to tell the story of just basically what happened. Why the league is so, fo- why these league members are so focused on hunting down Dr. Light. Dr. Light. Basically, Dr. Light Dr. Light somehow found his way, found his way into, into the JLA watchtower. And unfortunately, Sue Dibney was on the watchtower alone and Dr. Light raped her. There's no flowery text of of way around it. And it's, it's sickening. It's 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 one of the problems with identity crisis there's nothing wrong with having mature themes like rape and murder in a story if they serve the purpose of the story but the rape in particular all felt off to me it doesn't advance dr light's character just makes him rather creepy and eepy and overall makes him seem like that much more of a psychopath which to be perfectly honest he's not necessarily a early a psychopath to the levels of the joker but more importantly it just devalues sue dibney the idea that she was in this story for two things and both of them happening to her in very cruel and very very just bad ways doesn't make them feel any better dr light thinks that he's figured out as a result of every everybody's weakness and they basically and they basically pin him down Realizing that there's only one way to stop, that while Ralph takes Sue down back to Earth out of the JLA watchtower to go back home and get her her checked out, it leaves the remaining seven heroes with a dilemma. With a dilemma. Well, according, whereas we also cut back to the present day where the League is getting ready to hunt down Dr. Light, who is apparently slumming it with a suicide squad. Oh, and by the way, this is also the first time at outside of the Justice League group, Justice League group that actually suggested Dr. Light that Dr. Light's name has actually been mentioned. Mostly because, well, Dr. Light, according, according to the, this book, was a bit of a bumbling idiot because, well, you know, the Teen Titans. And to be perfectly honest, Dr. Light was not that big of a bumbling idiot. It's more or less a retcon for the sake of trying to make, for trying to make up for what they did in the Teen Titans books. But as an overall supervillain, Dr. Light actually did, actually did make a, a lot of threatening advances on conquering the world so yeah it just feels kind of badly it just feels kind of bad really and in all honesty it just I know I don't know feels wrong so yeah they continue to tell the story and basically they're having some trouble about whole about holding dr. light down and dr. light basically does know far more than far more than than anybody expected him zatanna puts dr light to sleep and they have to decide now with carter with carter aka hawkman putting forth an idea that they might have to do something drastic to him something that will make him forget and no they're not going to kill him they're going to do something arguably worse than killing the guy which you know considering how it goes, it's actually very, very odd. So, yeah. Basically, what they're going to try and do is mind wipe him. <sighs> yeah, mind wipe him. Basically, remove all of his memories about the identities and screw with his personality, too, at the same time. I'm. Zatana. Excuse me. Zatana, Hawkman, and the Atom are for it. Or it. Well while Green Arrow, Green Arrow, Diana Lance, aka Black Canary, and Hal Jordan are against it, it. leaving just the flat Barry Allen, the the then Flash, to decide and break the tie between the seven. And before I continue with the actual story itself, I feel I should mention one of the big problems with Identity Crisis. The idea that Brad Meltzer believes that this is a kind of thing that would be told in the Silver Age of comics, which is absolute farcical at the very most. Look, let me be perfectly honest. The early days of comics were goofy as all get out. I mean, you had your some serious issues but for the most part, it was things like Bat Baby and Super Baby and Wonder Woman as a baby. You know, they had, as well as just other various odd combinations and things that were created around that time. I'm, mean, you know, things like talking anthropomorphic gorillas and a whole bunch of other stuff that's just so goofy, it's hard to explain. Yet, this story, he claims is a love letter to that, those comics. The problem is, is that for every serious moment the Silver Age has, you can find just as many comics, in fact, more than double the amount of comics with goofy premises, goofy characters, and just downright more lighthearted feels to them. This story is not uplifting. It is not a hero's triumph. It is dark, grim, depressing, and as I'll explain, whether it be today or next week, it paints the heroes as untrustworthy, loathing, and just generally despicable by the end, pretty much all of them, and that's with the exception of maybe one or two, which is really just sad, uh, all things considered. So, yeah, they basically end up mind wiping Dr. Light, and from there, we then pretty much have cut to, cut to the Suicide Squad, basically, or, or League of Assassins Guild, who basically have decided that, well, they're going, they're, they're going to basically decide whether or not they're going to take certain jobs or not. However, then there's Captain Boomerang. Captain Boomerang's a Flash villain who, Who overall is very, who I, who I honestly kinda pity. He's definitely not an upper tier villain, but the way he's treated, even by the other villains, is just sad. He's called the lech of all things, to be perfectly honest, too. None of the villains want him around. Oh yeah, and then, uh, Slade, aka Deathstroke, gets a letter to protect, a letter to protect Dr. Light, and basically, basically you know a contract to save him so yeah meanwhile yeah captain boomerang pretty much proves that he's not exactly endearing himself even if you know they don't necessarily like him for his personality but he but yeah we cut back to back to where we are originally with massachusetts sits so apparently where our heroes are discussing the rooftop on the rooftop what exactly happened Wally is naturally having a lot of trouble, well, that his mentor and pretty much his father, if you figure, if you will, Barry Allen decided to mind wipe and wipe Dr. Light. And what's so sad about it is with the exception of Green Arrow, none of these people seem to actually hold that much, that, that with the exception of Green Arrow and Hawkman, all of them are actually genuinely sad about the mind wipe. They accepted it as something that they had they felt they had to do and that they didn't necessarily like it, but for the most part part everybody else except for Green Arrow and Hawkman don't defend it as the right thing to do. They make arguments for it, but they never say it was right. Green Arrow and Hawkman on the other hand are pretty much the only ones who say say that in retrospect it was pretty much the only way to stop them in fact this is coming from the fact that green arrow actually was in the vote against the mind wipe might i add which just raises a whole bunch of questions in all honesty and then green arrow reveals that they probably were screwing that they screwed up with someone else's mind way to go there green arrow but before they can even do that ralph dimney manages to trip some explosives sieves that knock him unconscious before they can get to Dr. Light. Light. And Deathstroke appears. We then cut to Dr. Midnight, who is examining the body of G or of Sue Dibney, and basically basically hasn't found anything anomalous, much in the same way that nothing anomalous was found was found inside of the apartment. We then get a big old fight scene with Deathstroke. And while I will admit that the idea behind Deathstroke strategically taking out, taking out all of the characters in the way they did was indeed smart, the fact of the matter is, is that Deathstroke is good, but he's not this good. He they don't even land much so much as a single punch on him for a couple panels, which is absolutely ludicrous. This is something that they absolutely just cannot do. Uh do. It makes these heroes look incompetent. I mean, first of all, Zatanna moves moves way into in way too close to Slade so that he ends up punching her in the gut so that she can't even speak backwards talk and freeze him or anything. Is him or anything he takes out the flash with a sword which by the way looks like it almost goes straight through his heart and should kill him but it doesn't go figure he cuts hawkman's wings out which i don't really, really even know how that's possible he basically cuts all of green arrows arrows out of his quiver basically rendering him relatively useless useless and he somehow manages to actually actually restrain black canary with a black plastic bag and handcuffs. And then actually manages to get the get the atom and then also manages to get the atom by using a glorified laser pointer. Yeah, this is all happening in a singular fight scene, folks. Oh, but this is the really, really stupid part. Get this. He manages to crush Kyle Rayner, the Green Lantern's fingers, and actually manages to get into a death grip with kyle while while he's holding the ring and he overrides the ring's willpower or with his own willpower that is bull the guardians of the galaxy created this weapon so that they could be used only by green lanterns who have the ability to resist great fear And yes, I know the idea of the the lantern rings coming on and off is something that's, you know, kind of not really consistent in comics, and it does bug me, but they cannot be overridden like that. No one person, no matter how strong in will or love or courage they may be, can override a green lantern ring. The Guardians of the Galaxy would not design the weapon that is the Green Lantern Ring with something that stupid. A bit of a design flaw. Oh, but what's better? Green Arrow's the one who actually finally gets to take Slade out. And instead of actually stabbing Slade in his one good eye, therefore rend- rendering him completely useless, he goes for the eye that he's actually blind in. Really, Green Arrow? Really? You didn't think maybe taking out the one eye he could actually see from was a good idea? But yeah... Green Arrow then gets the snot kicked out of him until, well, everybody else piles on Deathstroke and decides, and that's what it takes to subdue him. Oh, and then Dr. Light somehow remembers what exactly, remembers what happens with the Mind light, and then he turns into a giant glowing candle who somehow manages to escape and ape and blind and stun all of our heroes before they actually can get their hands on him oh yeah and somehow deathstroke escaped in the ball of light too go figure so yeah superman shows up and naturally he's not necessarily not necessarily early too impressed or pleased with the league's efforts Fertz. Fertz. superman then reveals how it couldn't be dr light based on everything that's happened and that Sue did, but the most important revelation is that Sue Dibney, despite being burned, didn't die from carbon monoxide poison azen And then and Wally West reveals pulls Green Arrow aside and reveals and asks the big question about whether or not about whether or not the uh, there the only mind wipe was to well, another supervillain, because, well, you know, they he mentioned there was more than one mind wipe. He basically then goes and runs through all the JLA successes, as well as their losses, this is including Black Canary's father, their, I want to say, Zatanna's mother, and Barry Allen's wife, as well as eventually Hal Jordan, Superman, and company in themselves, but they all came back, of course, or... He basically then points out about, until Dr. Light, until Dr. Light, they hadn't really tried to re- reinvent somebody's personality. They j- basically just tried to actually maybe make them forget or do something else like that. So, yeah. He also admits that he should, that B- Wally West shouldn't be surprised at the inner fighting of the league and the politics. politics, politics. And Green Arrow storms off, not actually telling telling Wally much more than, yeah, inner politics struggles and that, hey, we had to do what we had to do. Ooh, and whatnot. Uh not. But yeah. We then cut to Captain Boomerang, who reunites with his long lost son, or at the very least intends to, and then we also cut to Jack Drake and and Tim Drake. All worrying about both worried about one another, considering what they know. We also get a rare scene with Jimmy Olsen, who's not with Superman, talking about how, well, you know, with the superhero community on edge, who's next on the hit list? And then we cut to Gene Loring, who has in fact hung herself while at the while also trying to aim to call for help. Apparently establishing the idea that there's that the killer's still out there, as well as ending issue three. I will close out oh, is out this portion of the show oh before I give you guys some more music with this. The I a quote from Bruce Wayne from the book itself. I chose this life. I know what I'm doing and on any given day I could stop doing it. Today however isn't that day and tomorrow isn't looking bet won't be either either well that just kind of proves the point the idea that these heroes have so much that they sacrifice and give and that's really part of the reason why this tragedy is what it is but it's also why it feels so pointless the idea that we'd rather just see these people be heroes but i'll get more into that when i talk more about identity crisis i'll talk a little bit more about it when we come back but first I would like to remind you that 91.7 The Edge and UWWTV tv have partnered to bring you Live on the Edge, a multimedia concert series, which brings some of the best local music acts to your television and radio sets every other Thursday with in-studio performances and interviews. You're listening to 91.7 The Edge, WSUW Whitewater. Here's Tokyo Police Club with 60's Remake.
0: something better <sighs> but where will we go i think you know the answer to that question
1: break away from the mainstream music yeah. tune in to metal at midnight from 12 to 6 a.m only on 91.7. 7 the Edge. All right, that was the Alabama shakes with Rise to the Sun here on 91.7 The Edge. Issue four of Identity Crisis continues the rather depressing run of things, continuing where we left off last with Jean Loring hanging herself and the Adam summarily coming to save the day. This is why I said this comic is not necessarily good in the sense that it's You know, kind of depressing. And look, it's probably more or less the fact that, you know, Meltzer said that he wanted this to be a, that he viewed this as a love letter to the goofier days and stuff. But there's just too much dark themes here for there to actually be any real happiness or joy. I mean, really? So, yeah, Ray Palmer saves Gene Loring, and pretty much, pretty much things go pretty, or and pretty much from there, things go back to the investigation. With Mr. Miracle confirming the fact that, um, well, there's apparently no, no alarms tripped and everything else. And also no cameras or anything else caught footage of what happened. However, this is where one of the big plot holes kind of come into play. You see, between this investigation and the first investigation of the Didney's apartment, we hit a bit of a plot hole. The fact that no evidence at all was found is a bit alarming and staggering, almost to the degree that it's almost unbelievable, especially when you figure out just how Sue Didney was killed and just how it occurred. Also, the heroes, for whatever reason, don't just assume that maybe, as unlikely and as sad as it is, that Jean Loring attempted to kill herself, rather than what they actually then go on to figure out was apparently a staged killing. Or at least that's what they were meant to believe. To believe. So, yeah. Uh... Basically, they then get a lead on a new, poten- on a new potential killer, or killer of the two. A man named Slipknot, who's serving some time with the suicide squad until his arm got blown off. Which pretty much doesn't, as well as serving jail time currently. So, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily think he will be, he will be much help, or actually a credible suspect. Green Arrow goes to his hometown of Opal City's jail, just to be sure, and brings along Wonder Woman with her lasso of truth. One of the rare times we actually see Wonder Woman in this book. Seriously, she's actually probably one of the most underutilized of the main Justice League characters in this entire story. Slipknot basically reveals absolutely nothing that they didn't already know. Oh, oh, and by the way, in case you're wondering, no, this tip did not come from Batman or Oracle herself but rather it was Clark's idea that it was potentially Slipknot. So, uh, yeah. And apparently, currently now we're back to square one, where they really don't have any idea as to who's being, who's the killer. Or essentially, basically back to square one, with the entire Suicide Squad essentially on the hit list. We then get a very odd interlude, which apparently which apparently is, again, courtesy of Superman, I think. It's not really clear as it kind of cuts into this one shattered picture page after a quote saying, doesn't it seem a little too easy? And then Superman's there. Green Arrow then basically tries to point out Green Arrow then basically points out about how they're hunting and pecking for targets like amateurs and they're starting to panic. And then the suicide squad basically decides, decides along with Deadshot, Monocle, Merlin, and some other guy whose name I can't exactly remember, decide that they need to start fighting back. <clears throat> fighting back against the justice league as they've been really wrecking the rest of the villains. However, Merlin basically says that if they ride out this wave, well, they'll eventually have them have themselves right where in a position where they want them. Or at the very least get the heroes off off their trails. We then cut to Captain Boomerang finally meeting his estranged son and the his estranged son which is absolutely absolutely kind of heart-touching it's a shame because it's one of the few moments that actually actually humanizes somebody buddy from the villain side of things and more importantly it's the kind of thing where you feel sad for captain boomerang Meringue, as he's trying to do something to make thing to connect with his son to try and feel better Oh, better and then we cut to Batman, who basically decides that, well, the suicide squad is not, is not responsible for any of this. And is basically asked the question of who benefits. Which is actually a legitimate question when trying to solve a crime. And it's surprising that it's just Batman who's thinking of it. Thinking of it. We then cut to see but to see Green Arrow going to the grave of Hal Jordan, who at this point in comics had somehow become the Spectre. No, don't ask me how, I don't know, and to be perfectly honest, it's not relevant to the story. The only thing that you need to know is Hal Jordan came back to life, is, is technically back to life as the spirit of vengeance, the Spectre, and basically explains to Green Arrow that he knows who killed who killed sue dimney but he can't tell him nor pass judgment on him because he's a spirit of vengeance but he only works in mysterious ways and i don't know this whole thing feels so arbitrary like literally just an attempt to throw hal jordan back into the story an idea that you know hey hal jordan's still alive and we're just waiting to bring him back in as the Green Lantern because, well, Kyle Rayner's our current Green Lantern. You know what I'm saying? Ying, I apologize if you guys are hearing that knocking out there. That's really annoying. Um, but anyways, I'm trying to press on. Um, let's see. We then see Lois Lane at the Daily Planet, and at issue four ends with a threatening note with... Revealing that somebody knows who Lois Lane's husband is and that she's next. Yeah. Pretty much exactly what you'd think. Inc. So, uh, yeah. We then cut to the suicide squad. Well, getting their butts kicked by the Justice League. Mostly because the Justice League, this League waltzed into their front door. And then we basically see, basically see just just exactly what happens when the Justice League has the upper hand. To the point where they dang near slaughter them. In fact, it actually gets pretty gruesome in this fight, too, as Kyle Rayner puts up a shield to stop Deadshot, and Deadshot actually shoots himself in the throat. Again, no idea how he survives this, considering, you know, the vitality of a throat, and I'm pretty sure that nobody's going to get him to a hospital. Hospital. And Deadshot doesn't get far because, well, Superman. He showed up too. Yeah. And then we basically cut to other scenes of the various, of various other Justice Leagues, JLAs, the Outsiders, the Titans, all harassing various villains, villains and attempting to actually, and attempting to get information out of them with little to, Little to no luck. <clears throat> However, in one fight, there is something to note. In fact, it's notable because it's absolutely pointless. the The Justice League member known as Firestorm, Ronnie Raymond, is stabbed by a villain named the named Shadow Fee Thief. Because Firestorm is a nuclear reactor, basically inside of him, that he abuses and uses at will, that means he's going to go super critical if he doesn't, you know, fly away and he'll, you know, lead, lead devastation and damage. So, yeah, Firestorm is essentially killed off. Yeah, I know they made, they did it so that they can make room for a new Firestorm. Or almost immediately afterwards, but it just is a pointless character death, especially considering we don't even see that much of the fight, and it's very contextless as it is. So yeah, really pointless. But hey, Gene Loring and Ray Palmer are back together. In fact, they're having a nice, loving moment, loving moment together. Speaking of loving moments, Captain Boomerang is teaching his son how to use said trademark boomerang weapon and also proves that he has super speed abilities uh, abilities from his superpowered mother apparently apparently i don't know it's never really gone into great detail we then cut to tim and jack drake where jack drake tim's father is trying to convince him not to go out as robin for the night however they have a nice sentimental talk and eventually Eventually, Jack relents and lets Tim go out and be Robin, reminding him that he's proud of him. However, a, pa- a package has been left for Jack Drake, Jack Drake, which contains a gun and a note: "Protect yourself." Jack Drake, being a smart person, manages to call Oracle and tries to alert alert everybody else into alert everybody else. Meanwhile, back at the autopsy. See, Dr. Fate was unable to ret- unturn anything else to help Dr. Midnight in the autopsy of Sue Dibney. Yeah, that's right. Five issues in and they still haven't figured out what killed her yet. Which, from a mystery perspective, I suppose is okay, but still. Oh. So, yes, an intruder then attempts to break into Jack Drake's house. House. And armed with a gun, Jack Drake, Jack Drake manages to get himself set up in a defense. Batman man is riding with Tim Drake and and they have a very tense emotional moment where Jack where Bruce Oost tries to make sure that does everything in his power to try and make sure that what happens to Tim doesn't happen what happened to him and his parents doesn't happen to Tim Drake and he truly does care for his Robin for his his friend Robin however unfortunately Fortunately, despite a very nice set of loving sentiments from sentiments from Jack Drake to his son Tim, a fight ensues with Jack Drake, Drake killing killing the man who assaulted him, who assaulted who attempted to assault him. Well, we find out that Captain Boomerang left his his illegitimate son and long lost son a message that he had been given one last job last job with hopes of trying ing -ing to retire captain boomerang ends up fighting jack drake and and they end up killing each other boomerang throwing one boomerang that hits jack drake right in the heart while old boomerang is shot several times it's so sad because a supporting character who had little to no bearing on the over on the overall plot, dies. Seriously, was it really necessary for Jack Drake to die? So Dibney is the whole reason this plot gets going. So yes, as sad and as ill-advised in many ways from a storytelling perspective as the rape and death of her is, I can understand it. But Jack Drake is a civilian who gave this Robin a unique status, and he died against a villain who... As b as he may have been to anybody that wasn't the Flash, you have to admit that it was still a bad, bad move. Plus the idea of him having a character arc in this book. What is the point of even doing that if you're going to kill him off like that? So yeah, Tim basically finds his father and is consoled by Batman who shows a lot of genuine emotion and care for his young Ward's fallen father, which in many ways is just really, really nice. We also then end up seeing, seeing Captain Boomerang's son trying to basically, basically pick a fight with the authorities, but not really getting very, very far. We then see Connor and connor and oliver queen having breakfast and then and then and basically hugging it out over the loss of jack drake who by the way despite looking like he was 60 or so in several of the pictures was actually only 43 apparently go figure we then basically sickly cut to a montage of of all the people the league's lost, from husbands, to brothers, to sons, to daughters, to wives, to fathers, there's, it's all very, very sad. Although it's kind of comical when you think about how many of these people actually will come back. back. And we then get a very touching scene of, you know, of Bruce, of, of Bruce Wayne being told by Alfred that he's sorry about his parents' death then Bruce telling the same thing to Dick Grayson, and then Bruce telling the same thing to Tim Drake. It is really, really sad. We then see Captain Cold, Captain Cold talking, which really doesn't amount to anything. He's not exactly really, really there for anything other than to point out that Captain Boomerang has a son. And Captain Boomerang, in a very emotional moment, reveals how his father made the front page of the newspaper, which is of nothing out is rather interesting and because as there's nothing there's nothing lawyers can hold the suicide squad members that batman that superman and company beat up they're all eventually let go we then see dr light who's back in the story for all of a single panel with an evile grin which uh, by all means doesn't really mean anything we then see the son of Captain Boomerang actually deciding to take up his father's mantle, which is actually kind of sad and tragic in its own way. And thus, we finally get the reveal of what the, who the other person was <clears throat> that the Justice League mind wiped, mind wiped. Because, well, Wally West proves that, well, he couldn't actually do couldn't actually, you know, let go Oh, of the idea. Well, because, let's be honest, could you let go of the idea? And guess what? Batman also was there to subdue Dr. Light. And yes, this is going exactly in the direction that you think it is. Think it is. Because, while they were tampering with Dr. Light, Green Arrow mentions how Bruce and... Clark are never there for the cleanup. They're only there for the big fight, always moving on to the next one, while people like Green Arrow and Zatanna and Hawkman have to mop up. It's a valid point, yes, but it still feels ever so much like, ooh, Oliver Queen's extremely jealous of Batman or something. Seriously. And get this. They mind wiped Batman. Because Batman, out of legitimate concern for Legitimate concern for Sue Dibney decided to show back up at the watchtower and, and come back and, I can see how everybody was doing. Wing. And, and it's there where Green Arrow basically says, point blank, they had to take Batman's memories. They had to mind wipe him for 10 minutes of his life. They froze Batman and they removed his memories. Marie's. and you want to know what the sad thing about it is one could ethically make an argument for the mind wipe when it's a villain but when you do it to batman a friend and colleague league you absolutely have no excuse none nada zilla zilch any other nuque equa- equation that equals zero Because Batman, he may be dark, he may be brooding, and he may be judgmental sometimes, but he is anything but a bad, villainous character in most of his appearances. And he, in many ways, would be all about justice. He knows, yes, the risk of Dr. Light potentially having his memories, but he knows very well exactly what happens. Oh, and get this. This, despite being not so on board with Bruce with with the mind wipe at all, Bruce Wayne decided or or I should say Green Arrow decided has decided now that yeah, it's okay because he's thought about it, I guess. Hawkman once again is the one to easily suggest the mind wipe mind wipe. But seriously, seriously it's just so bad especially when you consider the idea that the alternative was was that instead of calmly explaining to batman that there was a vote and that batman could just as easily vote to not do the mind wipe which was which was in progress at this point and they could have just as easily restored dr light without some memory of the heroes murray of the heroes they instead decided to freeze him and wipe his mind seriously zatanna stops batman Cole in his tracks but instead of explaining to him exactly what they're thinking they instead choose the route to tamper with his mind and wally west raises up the good point of well does batman know he's obviously probably figured it out and Batman to a degree has. And, and this is pretty much the, one of the biggest problems with this book. The idea that it sets up all these heroes to be jerks and just not trust each other. And you wanna know what? Batman is the one who actually is in the right here. He's the one who actually has every right not to trust the JLA after what they did to him. But at the same time, it's not exactly fair. This would lead into Final Crisis and Infinite Crisis with Batman just being on the outs with the League because this story said so. Because they mind-wiped him, and as a result, they basically basically ended up ruining any potential explanation as to why batman might just be you know on the outs of the justice league maybe he felt like he worked better alone or maybe tim drake's father dying really got to him to him instead of that being a logical excuse yeah it's pretty much just that calculator then talks to merlin who then pretty much reveals that he didn't intend to get Captain Boomerang killed he just set up the job uh, and then Batman basically, basically ends up finding the note and basically also so ends up doing some more investigating investigating but to the credit of Calculator he actually gives Batman some leads Dr. Midnight then finally figures out what killed Gene Loring Ring. Ring, an infarct or a stroke caused by two tiny footprints in her brain that caused hemorrhaging, which leads to the question of is it in fact the atom? But believe it or not, this this is where the big reveal comes in. Well, first the end of chapter six, with or issue six, which has Ray Palmer and Jean Loring. Happily together and in love and getting ready to go to bed together, together. While the Justice League, Justice League and the various other factions, are trying to put it together. And then Gene Loring lets slip that she found that there was a note at Jack Drake's place, which was something that only Batman and company could know. So, yeah basically ray loses it basically saying that there was some sort of connection and basically gene reveals that yes she killed sue dibney she put the hit out on jack drake she was the one who faked an attempt on her own life and sent the note to superman to lois lane she found one of the atoms old size changing belts to go microscopic and do so. But here's the problem with this. The whole problem as to why, in my opinion, identity crisis is a bad story. Or is a bad story on some levels, but not others. And that's the biggest glaring plot hole of them all. And that is simply this. Jean Loring's motivation. She wanted to scare Ray Palmer and into getting back together with him scare all of the family members and bring them closer to the heroes rose and in the process says maybe make their lives a bit better somehow maybe remind them of what they have she also admits that killing sue was an accident but here's the thing that really gets your gets my goat the fact of the matter is, is that Jean Loring and Ralph and Ray Palmer, they weren't seeing anybody. They were divorced, and they weren't dating anybody. So Jean Loring wasted time and effort, effort to try and win back her ex-husband, who would more than willingly, as a result, as we saw in the moments before this revelation, spend the night with her and with her and have romantic relationships with her a romantic relationship with her. Instead, she decided to concoct this whole scheme to make sure that she could come running back that th- that they would come running back. And heck, if you wanted to go that far, if you just wanted Ray to come back, here's an idea. Try your suicide thing attempt again, but instead hope that the ver- hope with variables that you don't kill yourself. Instead of killing one of your friends, and guess what? It doesn't explain how she didn't leave any evidence. It also doesn't explain. So doesn't explain how she didn't think it through. It also doesn't explain in how she that she shrunk a flamethrower along with the size-changing belt to burn the body, and it's just so terrible of an idea it's so sad that gene loring is turned into this glorified crazy person and the fact of the matter is is that she goes through all of this again for very little to no purpose and basically sickly gene loring pretend tries to defend herself saying that it was an accident what happened to sue she had hoped that jack drake that Jack Drake would kill Captain Boomerang and plant suspicion on him as the killer, which wouldn't have made sense considering that Boomerang would have left physical evidence. He may not be an idiot, but he's not exactly a rocket scientist level of smart. Er, To the point where, and it's so irritating because Jean Loring afterwards acts like she's done nothing wrong. She acts so smug and then even has the gall to say that she won't that Ray won't do anything to her. She, he won't throw her in a cell and throw away the key. Although in the next panel that's exactly what he does. He throws her in Arkham Asylum. You know, the same Arkham Asylum with crappy, crappy, crappy security system, one of the worst in the DC universe. All for the sake of getting her psychiatric help. I mean, seriously, you couldn't send her to one of the psychiatric hospitals in your town that you live in, Ivy Town, or turn her over to the police? hes I mean, I know the JLA wouldn't have done, you know, anything too terrible to her. But yeah, Palmer brings her there almost immediately and then leaves. He doesn't fill out any paperwork. He just leaves. He goes subatomic. He leaves and goes into countdown. We then cut back to the various heroes milling around with Green Arrow basically saying that things, things are back to normal even though, even though things have, well, kind of, have kind of been, you know, screwy, screwy as a, as a result of everything that's happened. We even see Deadshot and Katana and, or Deadshot and Katana. We, we even see a couple of other characters like Zatanna and Black Canary. We see, katana and black lightning and a couple of others just kind of milling around milling around and then we see oliver queen consoling 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 his friend ralph dibney and tim drake getting a call from batman who basically pretty much says is that he's there for tim drake we then cut back to wally west and the wally west the flash and oliver queen Basically, sickly pointing out that, pointing out that they're going to go have dinner. But they're going, but Wally also hinting that they're probably, that he might just bring up to Bruce and Clark the fact that, well, they did the mind wipe thing on them. On him. Wally also mentions how they basically ruined the league and, league, while Green Arrow says, the league will always endure, blah, 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 blah. Uh, we then get a somber scene of batman at his parents grave placing a rose and asking them to take care of jack drake and sue dibney we then cut to the league going back to as normal as it possibly can possibly can Wally not getting the courage to exactly tell batman man about the mind wipe and then we cut to at the very end of this comic a a drugged out or at least drunk ralph dibney hallucinating and talking to his dead wife yeah it's official he's gone insane look i know that sometimes talking to your dead wife or a dead a dead person that you love and you miss is a great coping mechanism but yeah it's pretty clear that ralph dibney the elongated man is past the point of no return he's gone insane at the loss of his wife and unborn child and that, my friends, is how identity crisis ends on a downer note, to say the least. To be perfectly honest, this book is so polarizing that you can honestly understand where both sides are coming from. On the other hand, on one hand, it was a t- it led to a darkening of the DC universe. One that basically led to the killing of so many characters in Countdown. So many other other character deaths that would follow in events like Final Crisis as well. And just a general darker and more ugly tone to the DC Universe. One of mistrust and just general lack of heroes fighting villains and instead, you know, heroes being mistrustworthy of one another. I suppose there are some interesting ideas out of it. I'm not going to say that the murder mystery idea was a bad one. Nor am I not going to say that when you read the book that the revelation of Gene Loring as the killer is not a shocker. It is, but it's a shocker for all the wrong reasons. In a mystery, you want to be able to guess. You just can't in this book. In all honesty, I couldn't have guessed. And that's coming from a comic fan who... Could probably have seen some of the twists and turns that came in this book, but not nearly all of them. And at the end of the day, I really do think that there are some elements of this book to like. The artwork in particular is probably, probably the bet, is the best part of this book. It really shines. It's very well articulated and drawn. But the problem with that is, is is the artwork er, is often colorful, but it also tells a dark and grim and gritty story. There's just too many plot elements that I personally don't like. I'm not against the idea of, uh, of things like rape and murder being in a story if they can further the plot and the character in a comic. In this case, they just don't do either of them. I mean, yeah, they do Ooh, some of it, but they don't do enough. It's just something that feels absolutely, absolutely hammered in just for the sake of making it seem more mature. It's just sad. It's one of those things that, looking back on it, you can understand why it was made, but you really wish that it was written differently or if there, there was something better or more or lighthearted in tone about it. Because in all honesty, it's just not, uh, it's just not necessarily early as good as, you know, one would hope. It, it doesn't do the concept justice and there are too many plot holes, honestly, to be for me to recommend it, unless you absolutely love of being on your toes and guessing with a mystery, and you wanna, and you honestly, if you followed these characters, it might be interesting. But other than that, I don't know if I can recommend this one. And it is probably the most polarizing book I've ever read, both from both from critical response and just from my own personal feelings towards it alone so make of that what you will let's get you guys uh, a little bit of comic book news and um as well as uh the releases i've only got one piece of comic book news and that is uh former wwe diva eve torres is going to debut as a villain as the super villainess maxima in in supergirl so that's nice that's cool uh to see um also wizard world is this weekend Unfortunately for all your, you Dr. Whovian fans, uh, a great deal of the Dr. Who cast had to cancel due to scheduling conflicts, um, but don't worry, we're getting plenty of other replacement guests, among others, we have, uh, if you're going to Wizard World, you'll, uh, there's uh, Finn from the Adventures of Finn and Jake, sorry, I, not gonna, I don't remember the actor's name off the top of my head, as well as Joey Fatone from Insync. so among other of the... Fun guests that have been added to the list uh as replacements so yeah it's definitely going to be an interesting convention and i'm looking forward to it this weekend let's talk about the promo or the, the promos uh the promotions the um i meant to say the uh comics that are coming out I, I had the word preview on the brain but it's not preview i'm talking about blah forget about it anyways let's see what's up for the new release this week okay we've got green lantern green arrow detect and detective comics all the 51st issue superman number three batman beyond number 11 bloodlines from dc a new series number one batgirl number 50 we got a couple image comics the wicked plus the divine number 18 the fix number one grizzly shark number one saints number seven dark corridor number seven uh, Prophet Earth War number three. Uh, that's kind of it for Image Comics. Looks like. Uh, let's see. We've got Star Trek the Classic UK Comics. That's an interesting release. Um, uh, see, we've got uh Supersonic Digest. I- I'm just rattling off a couple of ones that are interesting to me. I'm because I want to say something else here really quick before we end the show. Uh, Angry Birds number four. I'm surprised Angry Birds is still as a comic. Um, let's see uh miss fury trade paperback uh the complete alice in wonderland trade paperback from dynamite entertainment Battlestar galactica starbuck the trade paperback uh vampirella slash army of darkness uh trade paperback miss fury you remember miss fury i talked about that a long time ago dynamite comics is actually uh rebooting that and they're uh bringing it back that's cool um let's see uh the x-files season eight or or season eight, season eleven, number uh, eight. Ooh, one of my personal favorite comics that I've been meaning to read more of. The Darkness, uh, number one. Uh, Hope number one from Top Cow Productions. I don't think Top Cow gets enough love, in all honesty. Uh, Deadpool number nine. Black Widow number two. Uh, Contest of Champions number seven from Marvel. uh The Empress from Marvel Icon. I think that's a Marvel subline. Uh, The Scarlet Witch number five, Old Man Logan number four, Uh, The Vision number six, and the last comic that I will uh, cover, or the last comic that I'll talk about that's getting uh, released tomorrow is Escape from New York, issue 16. I would like to thank each and every single one of you for listening. I believe this is episode number 40. Yes, it is episode number 40. So thank you all for listening this long um, to me. Um, when i go to wizard world i will be on the lookout for plenty of new comics i do not know whether i will be talking about um directly talking about comics that i get at the convention or if i will be talking about comics that i have uh that i have yet to read prior to the con- that i got prior to the convention but either way i'll have some new stuff to talk about and i will probably at the very least bring up uh some of the cool things from my experience at wizard world um, if you guys are going there i hope to see you there and have fun if you're not going to wizard world this weekend enjoy the rest of your weekend be safe be merry and hopefully the weather warms up for crying out loud um in any event i am jason captain comics signing off for comics corner here on 91.7 the edge here's some more music with cup check don't trip featuring matt hansen